On the show today, Tanya Carmichael, an experienced private equity investor and leader. And with us is also my co-host, Rainier Indal, founder and managing partner of Soma Equity. So today we'll talk about the big shift among investment firms and the reasons why. So Tanya, a warm welcome to the show. Great to have you here. Thank you. Amazing to be here. So you are an experienced private equity investor and leader uh, who came from Ontario Teachers Pension Plan in Canada, the pioneer in private equity. And today you serve as a thought partner and advisor to investment leaders who want to amplify their impact. So what inspired you to make that change? I have been so fortunate to not only get to invest with world-leading teams and partners around the world and in my former firm, but also to observe all of the challenges and opportunities that exist as well. And I have always been driven by making teams organizations, colleagues, leaders successful. And that seems to be more important now than ever. And as investment outcomes are getting more and more challenging, the people side of the business, the employee engagement, the challenges, the bigger questions that are not the typical challenges have persisted and aren't getting easier. And really, I view this as the challenges and solutions coming down to people And that seems to be, for some reason, a harder nut to crack. And so I really was inspired to see how I could impact the system. And in order to do that, really, that's a full-time effort. And I, I took the route to now come at it from outside organizations to support them in addition to what they're doing inside. And so that was what led me down this path that I'm on now. And in the last uh, several years, there has been this noticeable shift We've seen investment firms that have expanded this expression of uh, who they are, the why, they talk about the top priorities, they point at things like culture and collaboration, sustainability, of course, diversity, disruption, and so on. Some of those things are very often labeled as soft skills, even if, of course, they are actually the, the hard ones and the most difficult ones to uh, achieve. So what do you think is driving this shift? Like, why, why is it happening now? I think... The reason it's happening now is really many things are happening at the same time, have been happening at the same time for a long time, and they're not going away. A more complex world and investing environment with social, geopolitical, other challenges, economic challenges are there for sure. But it's not only that. The stakeholder community has grown to very squarely be not just investors and direct stakeholders, but communities, employees, you know, the broader ecosystem. And that raises questions which are kind of exponential when you start peeling back the onion. So I would say the human capital management side of this is intersecting with the investment and financial challenges. And that has made the challenges that CEOs, that investment teams, that leaders, that anyone in this ecosystem, it makes a job that was already getting harder, even more difficult, because it's coming at you from all sides. And people are really struggling through it, leaders and employees and stakeholders. So I think that this convergence of challenges is really put us at quite a precarious time. But also, if you accept that's where we are, and 
new solutions are required, it also can be an opportunity. But I think that is the shift that I see and that uh, there's many, many data points, companies, investors, etc. I completely agree. And it's uh, fantastic to have you on the show uh, and to speak again on, on, on this. One question that I have where I'm curious, I mean, what you're saying, uh, I totally see all around and uh, you need to be purpose-driven. You need to le- lean in to make this, uh, this shift and it's a paradigm uh, shift in many ways. But we've lived uh, through big disruptions before as well. So if you just think about, you know, back to the dot-com uh, disruption, which I lived through back then, I can't remember, but maybe I'm wrong, but I can't remember that we needed to really drive the cultural shift so hard as we, uh, we're doing now back then, although, you know, that was also a major disruption. Am I wrong or, or, or what has happened? I think you're right, Rainier, and shifts and paradigm shift all of a sudden, gradually, but also all of a sudden. So things work until they don't work. And I think if we look back to the dot-com boom, we were still on an upswing in so many ways in terms of what was going right. And even though there was, you know, the blip of, you know, the markets at that time, things recovered pretty quickly. And technology was still new, evolving, making lives better. Um, There was so much opportunity. There were so many exciting things going on in the market. But now, you know, 20 years later, we see some of the challenges that came with that, some of the pressures around technology, the social challenges, the impact on youth, the impact, the pandemic. So all of a sudden, these things that only seem to be going up and to the right now have some fractures in them. And of course, that asks questions about whose responsibility is and what capital it is, the role that it can play, both as a contributor to challenges, but as a, as a solver of problems. And so I think that it's intersecting with other big questions around climate, around net positive, around purpose, around how do we come together versus just look out for the individual. I think that all of these things coming together really represent, you know, whether you call it the deep transition, the fourth industrial revolution. We're at this moment where the things we've been doing, it's not sustainable. So I see that perhaps as being different. And the dot-com was certainly a moment and an important moment, but we continued on that journey. And I think we're at even more of an inflection point today. I think you're right. You know, I remember Francis Fukuyama came up with this book called End of History, how how our capitalism and democracy, this was the uh, end of, uh, of our systems because now we figured it out. So it all works out. And suddenly now we, uh, and he's come out with a couple of new books and, uh, and he's sort of shifting uh, his series a little bit. But I mean, I think we're in an ideological and philosophical crisis as well, where you mentioned uh, uh, sort of uh, the individual and, and call it the self-interest. We're seeing that we actually need to think about us as a human beings and the planet, our social system as a systemic one. So being purely individualistic is not getting us there. That's uh, partly what, so we need to think and operate in a different way. And I think the Gen Z, I mean, I'm really inspired. I have two daughters, 21 and 23 years old, and really inspired about how Gen Z and and the younger ones really are getting it. Um, So I probably think that, you know, either it's me getting older or it's actually that this is an ideological and philosophical crisis because we've seen that the externalities are becoming too big for us. Agreed. Tanya, what do you think is the main challenge to seeing more leaders worth following? We have 
an abundance and a long history of pointing to investment leaders that have, and leaders in general, but I'm here to talk about investment leaders that have really strong competencies, track records, pedigree in all sorts of areas, direct experience, leading organizations, making investments, traditional business schools, other operating roles. These have been what leaders look like and, and what success looks like. But given all the challenges we just talked about, there are new questions coming into the fray and that are there to be considered in the realm of leading investment organizations, deciding where to direct your capital, deciding how to tackle value creation, what value creation even means today. Those are asking questions that don't necessarily draw upon those more traditional skill sets and experience bases. So I think this is the more of the EQ-oriented opportunity for leaders to really shine and show, I think you mentioned, that's now the soft skills, things that are more in line with connecting with people, figuring out how to inspire, lead, engage. Those are things that are no longer optional. They're not nice to have. They're actually imperative. And the challenge is that all leaders, that hasn't necessarily been how they got to where they are. There's Marshall Goldsmith, what got you here won't get you there. And so they're at this moment where they can either dig into their traditional toolkit or embrace that there are new opportunities for them to lead. And so some people are getting there faster than others. But I think that's the biggest challenge with seeing fewer leaders come through this period in a way that is really resonating and is going to be most resilient and effective. Do you think it's doable, Tanya, or, or will most leaders today become dinosaurs? I am hopeful that it is doable. However, I think it's going to be a case of take a step back, be a bit humble, or be left behind. It's re it really is that stark of a choice. I'm inspired by so many leaders that I am speaking to now in my new endeavors. They really want to make a difference. And they're saying, I don't know how. I know that things have to be different. I see the opportunity. I want to build a different kind of firm, or I want to resonate with the Gen Zs and you know my stakeholders. I'm trying, but I need help. We need more questions and more talking about what hasn't worked and less talking about perfection and what the perhaps the belief that people need to hear or want to hear only that it's going great, don't worry. So do I think everyone will get there? No. Do I believe a lot will get there? Yes. And I think creating new leaders is essential because the more examples we have to point to, then that makes it easier for others to follow. Big markets for you. You will be busy. <laughs> yes, I will be. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Tanya, I was just reflecting on, on just leadership. You know, people are saying yes, but how? And then they're learning certain concepts and apply them and, you know, have different kind of experiences. But the way I see leadership is very much as a craft, really. It's like an art form somehow because you need to kind of mix you know, mix in your energy, your intellect, your passion, your skills and, and tools and bring whatever intent you have in your mind as a leader to life. And then after that, share it with the world to bring all of that together. It's an art. But I'm thinking leaders who boldly step into a reimagined future. So in what way will they be rewarded, do you think? 
I think the leaders that show up as more willing to talk about what they don't know, who invite others in, and who make the table bigger. This is about diversity, diversity of thought, inclusive leadership. Diversity has so many benefits, but a leader who doesn't think that he or she or they can do it alone will instantly be rewarded because that is authentic and that means you get more ideas and that breeds more ideas and that breeds energy. So I think they'll be rewarded in a few ways all at the same time if they go down this path. They will not be alone with their worries and their stress of needing to figure out ESG or DEI or sustainability or whatever the the challenges they're facing. They will start to address perhaps lagging employee engagement by showing people that they want to hear what they say, that they're joint problem solving, that they're equipping them, empowering them to show up and do their best work to create value and investments to truly innovate and disrupt if that's something that's being talked about. So it's making true what probably is already being said, and that can have a snowball effect. So I think that's the way they will be rewarded. And that's within the organization, but attracting and retaining talent is another big challenge, as is competing to buy, own, and manage businesses. Portfolio company CEOs often have a choice of who they want to partner with. And so the values of the firm, the authenticity of the leader, what they stand for, the track record of have they done this before, also can contribute to the brand value creation success of the firm. So I actually see, Vesna, that it's multiple ways that leaders that go down this path will be rewarded. I think the concept of just learning at work, all together learning at work collectively is also seems to be like the new currency of loyalty as well. Completely agree. Learning questions are far more important than answers. Saying what you don't know is kind of like a new superpower right? It shows vulnerability, it conveys openness. And so I think that is the new currency. And, and not, not so much like setting up courses and workshops and stuff like that, but I think more like requiring to put the learning at the center of everyone's daily work and challenging sometimes also our, our obsessions with performance and alignment. It does. I'm curious, Radier, I, I think you, <laughs> you and I have discussed this before, it's doing what you say. It's walking the talk. If you say that learning and curiosity and diversity of thought is important, how do you show up and do that at work? Your colleagues, your team members, your peers, they can feel it in the way you engage with them. So it's not about what you say. It's about what you do. It's about your behaviors. And there are countless opportunities to demonstrate that literally every day. And it is amazing what comes back when you interact with your colleagues that way. I agree with you. The challenges we have are existential. And for most people, they now want more alignment with everything they do in their life to feel that they're on the right path. So before, work was work and your private life was private life. Now, this alignment needs to go across, right? So, and that's why I think leaders which... Um, you know, you put up uh, this whole effort, you define the purpose, you set a set of values, you have an annual report where you highlight sort of all the good stuff you're doing. If that is not felt in the organization all the way through, people will be demotivated. It's better that you never did it. 
So I, I think being authentic about it is hugely important now, and it needs to come from the top. And the good news about that, and this is perhaps a misconception that leaders have, that it's a black and white issue. Either I have everything all figured out, don't worry, our team, our culture, everything is on track, look at all our successes, or it's we don't know what we're doing, we have no idea where to start, employee morale is low, organizations, it doesn't have to be that extreme on either you can say with authenticity, Rainier, to use your phrase, this is really important to us. We're proud of some of the things that we have done, but we have so much more to do. We don't have it all figured out, but we are really paying attention to leaders in the industry and we want to equip our team with all the tools they need so that we can continue along that journey. That is a much different message than I think many organizations feel they need to convey or are conveying. And if you're on the team, you're not demotivated, you can feel some truth in that. And you feel hopeful that that will follow some of the support and engagement. But there's a way to convey it without throwing up your hands and saying, we have no idea what to do. We are pushing our companies uh, to set sustainability targets. And the pushback we're getting is that, how can we set the targets when we haven't figured out how to get and that's what we say, you know, you know, set the targets and then get the organization to figure out how to get there. Unleash all the innovation, uh, all the energy. And people love being part of the solution and being a part of this. So I think a lot of leaders that I see is just worried about this is uncharted territory. We haven't been in a net zero economy before. How am I going to get to a net zero target? Because I haven't done it. So we are in a road less traveled, and uh, and that is making uh, a lot of people uncertain about you know how can they stick their head out and set some targets. So uh, I think it's just important that uh, leaders actually just admit that I don't know how to get there, and we need to do this together. But here's the target. I know we definitely want to share some examples, Vesna. So CEOs, CIOs, incredibly important, but. There are lots of opportunities within the team and to interact with others in the ecosystem. We talked about systems change to mutually signal that you're on this journey. So I'll give an example. I come from private equity fund investing. And right now there are a lot of focus on ESG, net zero, sustainability, climate, GHG emissions, DEI by fund investors and by general partners. So there are a lot of due diligence questionnaires that are designed to cover all of these topics. And there's a lot of due diligence questionnaires and there's a lot of investors and there's a lot of paper and there's a lot of hours being spent filling these questionnaires out. My impression is that largely this is a due diligence exercise and that there isn't a lot of engagement after the fact, apart from statistics. Where are you on your numbers? And why do you still have not an increase in diversity in your team? These are valid questions, and obviously we want to move along there. But as long as it's a very binary kind of conversation, you fail, you pass, you respond, you didn't respond, we're missing out on a great opportunity to actually share insights and help each other along the journey. And it's not just private equity fund managers, general partners that are on this journey, it's limited partners, asset owners as well. We are all trying to figure this out. And so 
I think it would be much more effective to target your engagement with each other about here's what we've done, here's what we haven't done, here are the frameworks we're trying to use, but actually leave the door open to talk about the journey. How hard is it? What are you struggling with? What's going well? Why is it going well? Do you have anyone else we can speak to? Make it a mutual commitment to help each other on the journey and for perhaps bandwidth, perhaps perception that everyone feels like they have to have it all figured out. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of that happening. So I think that would take a lot of pressure off and start to fill in some of the gaps and again, create some of that connectedness that we are all in this together. The GPs have the LPs capital and so we should want to support each other. So again, that's a mindset shift, but I think more of that, it does open you up a little bit to it's not all perfectly figured out, but I do think that it will be extremely fruitful and lead to faster change. And just to jump in to the listeners who don't know what GPs and LPs are. So a GP, that's the private equity fund. And the LP, that's the investor in the fund. General partner and limited partner. On this subject, Tanya, what behaviors need to be rewarded? I think taking risks to speak out and ask questions among your team. That should be celebrated and encouraged and psychological safety. Anytime you can make the conversation welcome to be challenged is a win. And the danger is if you're not hearing questions or if people don't feel like they can speak up, that they will be not rewarded at best and punished at worst. So creating that environment is essential to innovate, to get the best ideas, to hear about potential solutions to these hard problems we've been talking about for the last 30 minutes. And so we need to reward that explicitly and we need to make it easier for that to happen. So that is one thing. And I think the other one is listening and learning. If you're a leader, don't be the one speaking first, make room, know what you don't know, and don't think that having the answer is what people value the most within your firm. Sometimes they want to know that you want to listen to them. And so that can be a bit counterintuitive for a busy leader that has a lot on his or her plate, but it's actually limiting the pathways to productivity in these areas. I agree. And if I would add anything is that I do think everyone is uncertain in this environment. So employees also need to feel that there is strong leadership. So I do think a leader needs also to be firm on the what, but open on the house. So be firm that, you know, we need to get to a net zero commitment or there's no question about it. And then be really humble and open uh, and, and listening and encouraging and incorporating others into the how. That is great because that creates shared accountability and ownership, which absolutely is needed for these really existential problems, as we discussed, and opportunities. What's the best way for leaders to demonstrate commitment to ESG, DNI, sustainability? To be, one, honest about where you're at, and two, be open to listening and learning. I'd actually prefer to see someone be at the beginning and say, I haven't done any of this before, but I'm at the beginning and I'm eager to learn or talk to anyone who's further along in that journey than someone who maybe doesn't 
appreciate or isn't willing to share where they are and therefore close close off the avenues of progress. So I think radical candor, radical openness, and again, bringing in the people who are able to be there and be your partners along the way, including stakeholders and employees. I mean, diversity is a very complex challenge within investment organizations because you have DEI as an employer and managing your workforce within your firm. You have DEI as a factor within your portfolio companies that you own, and you have DEI as a part of the lens for making investments and deciding you know, how that's going to support the success and the outcomes of your target portfolio companies and private equity funds. So it feels like they're separate, except they're all connected in that if your culture and your leadership values them, they will find a way to weave them together and to build those competencies in a way that is sustainable. So again, be honest about where you are and declare your openness to learn from the people who are are doing it better than you are. And where does a leader of an investment organization start? I would say start with your colleagues, your team. Find that common ground. Find that North Star, whether it's ESG or DEI or sustainability. Make sure you understand the values that are driving the decision to work on these priorities. And if it's not clear, that's okay too. It's better to know where you are and to make sure that there's alignment on the starting point. So I would start within your own team and just, again, be very much open ears and don't focus on what you're going to tell people where you are. Focus on the credibility within your own team and within your own organization first. Okay, so let's move into a little bit of a more helicopter perspective then. And I'd like to ask you, Tanya, what does the world need most right now, you think? I think that an appreciation of the power of the system and that we're all in this together. And these are joint problems, but there are joint solutions. So leadership that is focused on humility, focused on the collective, focused on the connection between investment returns, individual priorities and purpose, social environmental challenges, they're all connected to each other. And Rainier, you made the point earlier in our discussion about our private life and things that we think about outside of work and then our work life. I don't think we have that luxury anymore. And I believe that people genuinely are struggling with this, whether they are able to express it or even realize it or not. So I think the world needs to look at things a lot more holistically and less in separate compartments because they're not separate. I mean, the problems we are discussing are, are, are so-called wicked problems. I mean, they're not easy to solve. There's not one solution to them, and there's a lot of things that need to be aligned and happen for it to be sort of solvable. And I think that if you think about this from a leadership standpoint, and we talked about the dot-com disruption before, then it was pretty clear on you know where do you need to get to and, and how do you get there and uh, how do you digitize your business and move the business model and uh, all that. So that is more difficult now. So that's why I think what we've been talking about, I would say in, in the dot-com area, you could lead with the brain, but now you need to lead with the heart because you need to want to do this and get all the people to follow and be part of it. 
if you're going to succeed. Because it is a wicked problem that you need to solve. And the strategy path that you, you know, there's no clear way of doing it. And you have to attack multiple uh, areas at the same time. And you need to be agile. So um, that's why I think, you know, leadership needs to be much more driven by that. You need to feel authentic around it. And the people around you need to feel this is for real. And I see that with, uh, you know, how important that has been to Summa. Uh, You know, the reason why I started Summa, the whole purpose, and why everyone have come on board. And that we live this every day and, and this is what we are about. And I see other private equity firms now wanting to go in this direction and they, they're struggling if it's not authenticity behind it. If you only launch an impact fund and say, yeah, you're doing something, right? That's like a corporate not uh, dealing with its main product areas and, and rather launching something that's a, you know, a small green product instead of attacking the main business and really transitioning that. So I do think a leader now needs to lead with the heart. I completely agree, Rainier, with what you just said. But if I can talk about one aspect that I believe we need to figure out how to make them coexist, it's competition and collaboration. Investment firms, private equity for sure, but investment firms in general, they're competitive. They need to be competitive. They need to have an edge. They need to compete for talent. Those things are all true. But these wicked problems that we're all facing cannot be solved by individual organizations. So another key opportunity I see is for leaders to understand that sometimes there will be times absolutely when they need to reach across the street and collaborate, when they need to be open to efforts that are being set up to bring great leaders and great organizations together to jointly talk about some of these issues. And that can be an uncomfortable or a counterintuitive move to make, but I don't think that it's optional. And so I think that's another dynamic that we need more of today. I agree. What is your advice, Tanya, to young people when making choices to design their life work? My advice, which I probably didn't take to the extent I could have, but that's the beauty of hindsight. My advice is to pay really close attention to what you love to do. And the problem is you don't know what you want to do when you're 20, when you're 22, when you're 25, but you probably have some clues about the types of things that give you energy, whether it's being with people, whether it's engaging in deep analysis, there are clues out there. So take some time to pay attention to what those are, because I guarantee there is a way to fold those into the choices you make along the way. So that's my advice. Pay attention to those things. Great advice. So to both of you, just the last question, what do you want the main takeaway to be for the people listening to this episode? I think my main piece of advice would be that a great culture that can deliver these types of extraordinary outcomes, those cultures don't just happen. They require intentionality. They require leaders and teams that are all on the same page. And so I would say that pay attention to your culture, really invest in it and understand what steps you need to take in order to make the culture strong, because that will be essential to tackling any of these challenges. Thank you. Renu? I think there's a real opportunity here on, on the leadership side. I think we need strong leaders in the current the challenges and the environment. And that leadership 
has to be authentic and genuine and you want to get somewhere. But I think we need leaders that are clear on where they want to get to and they want it with their heart and with every fabric in their body and that they're inclusive and open for how to get there and see that what got us there, as you said, Tanya, is not going to get us there. So you need to operate in a new way. And um, I think there's a tremendous opportunity because unlike the dot-com disruption, where a lot of the physical infrastructure got disrupted because of the whole new digital space, the big challenge now is that we need to transition the physical space because uh, it's still going to be there. Waste and circularity and on the energy side, these are all physical areas. New business models will be good, but we need to transition a lot of what uh, what we're doing. So there's some tremendous uh, opportunity here and we need leadership, but we need real and authentic leadership. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rainier and Tanya for a great and very, very valuable conversation. This is Summa and Friends, the show that inspires and guides you on how we together can create a wiser future. Listen to unique leaders and experts exploring the challenges we are facing and revealing their stories about the solutions and how to get there. Episodes are released bi-weekly on your favorite podcast platform. And the week after, we release an in-depth blog article to help you capture the core ideas from the dialogues and how you can help move things forward. Summa and Friends is a podcast for people with the courage to care for a wiser future. To find out more, you will find links and show notes on summaequity.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening to the show. We hope it has inspired you to reflect on what you can do to contribute. And to make it easy for you to find and listen to this show again, subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And please share this episode with one person you know would benefit from hearing it. I'm Vesna Luca, and you've been listening to Summa and Friends. And until next time, live with purpose and be the change you want to see. Mm-hmm.